You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you so much that you love us. And Lord, sometimes those words, everything's going to be all right, is a reminder that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And Lord, sometimes in life we go through health difficulties. We go through problems with our bodies. We go through problems with our finances. Sometimes in marriage and with children and grandchildren. Sometimes we have difficulty at a job or we wonder how much longer we'll even be there. And yet, dear Lord, we thank you that the sovereign hand of God is watching over us. And Lord, as these words are saying, as we sing these words, Lord, everything will be all right. That God, we can always trust you. As Paul said this morning in our Sunday school, in Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul said what Adrian Rogers said to his family on his deathbed when he smiled and he looked at them even as he was dying and he said, I'm in a win-win situation. May we understand that. It's all good. God, you love us. And for every Christian, for every believer, we can trust you no matter how life may seem at the moment. And so, Lord, we give you glory. And we pray right now, dear Lord, that you open up our minds, make us sensitive to what you want to say to us in your word. And Lord, everything may be to your glory and honor. Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me, dear Lord. I ask you, dear Lord, for anything that's come out of my mouth or in my eyes or in my ears or, Lord, anything that would in any way hinder your word, that, Lord, you, through the blood of Jesus Christ, would wash it away and Create in me, as David said, a clean heart, a pure heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And that's my prayer for everyone who may be listening. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're doing that, uh, Bethany will be taking the... uh, Bethany, come up here real quickly. Bethany told me a moment ago... Uh, that she was traveling yesterday and had a blowout, and you said it nearly, you nearly lost your life, right? Yeah, it was really, it was awful. Yeah, but you're all right. I'm here. Well, amen. And all God's people, let's just give a round of applause to the Lord for bringing her back safely. Well, amen. Now, you can take the kids, and good luck. Have fun. Well, amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning at verse 1, and uh, we're going to be reading from there this morning. Now, let me say this before I read. Let me, I want you to listen to me closely. Um, we're getting into one of the most difficult passages in all the Bible. Uh, we talked about this Wednesday night, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, are very, very controversial, very, very critical to the, to the church, and yet there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding. Now, let me say something about your pastor. First of all, I believe in miracles. Uh, I personally have seen miracles. Uh, Years ago, when I was in Zimbabwe, uh, we were called to the home, me and two pastors, African pastors, to the home of a little boy. And this little boy was uh, unresponsive. Uh, uh, He was in an environment, his 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 feet were flat like that. His hands just, I mean, this boy, his, well, his hands were drawn like this. If you've ever seen anybody in a coma or comatose or brain dead even. So my conclusion was from what I knew that he was brain dead. So his feet were flat like that. His hands pulled up, twisted like this. And, and so the mother wanted us to pray. And my thought was, this child is, is brain dead. This child, whatever's happened, whatever trauma has happened, this child is no longer, their brain is no longer operating. They're just ba- basically a body waiting to die. So I had no faith. Mufundis Jaina, who's an old African pastor, a godly, godly man, and Mufundis Mube, they click. 
when they say his name, Lube. And these two men, were they prayed. And I'll never forget Simon Jana, this old pastor, was holding this boy whose body was straight and flat, just like it would be when a patient is brain dead. And he's holding, and he begins to weep, and he cries, and he cries to God for a miracle. Afterwards, when we left, I looked at the two pastors and I said, that boy needs to be taken to Johannesburg. We need to get him some kind of long-term care because basically, let me go ahead and tell you guys, his brain is gone. His brain is dead. No faith at all. Before I left, I was in a place called Hunyani, and I was doing, in that same community, I was doing the Jesus film, and it's made up of four reels. So we're showing the Jesus film, which is the Gospel of Luke. So I put the first reel up there, and there's like a thousand people just out in the open area here in Africa. And so when it came to the end of the first reel, one of the pastors gets up, speaks to the people, and I'm changing the reels. We've got a generator running, so I'm trying to change these reels, and I'm weaving the, I'm weaving the, the, the film through there. Thank you, Sheila. And all of a sudden, something goes by my leg, and I turned around and looked, and I saw this kid running along, and, and I looked, and I recognized him. And I turned to Mephundis Jane, and I said, Is that? And he said, Ah, Baba, that's that boy. That's that boy we prayed for. He is not brain dead. He's very much alive. Slight limp, but God has healed him. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, God, forgive me for not believing that you are a God of miracles. So a lot of times when conservatives come to these passages of Scripture, automatically people think, well, you know, they're not, uh, they're not a God of miracles. They don't believe in miracles. Let me tell you, I also believe in tongues, but I don't believe in tongues the way some people would interpret it. When I was in Zimbabwe, I was trying to learn language, and you've heard me talk, try to talk of Shona, and it's just difficult. And I did it, Kuzitsa, Shishona, I'm learning Shona, Handi Goni Kotaura, Jakanaka, I can't speak it well, Taura Yibishoma, speak slowly, Dili Mukamana, Kadiki Diki. I'm a little boy, I can't understand. I got up to preach, and I was preaching to almost exclusively a Shona congregation. I had written some notes in Shona, and so I get up there, and I'm trying to preach, and all of a sudden, there was a freedom. I just began to, I was preaching in Shona. And I was preaching to the level, you have to understand that sometimes when you're learning a language, your sermon sounds like, uh, Dwayne, it sounds like those little books, see Jane run, run Jane, run. Jane fell down the hill, you know, that's the way it sounds. So it's, it's intimidating. But I was just preaching when I got through, the, the Africans came up to me, their eyes were like this big. And they said, Mephundis, where did you learn the language that and I said, I don't know. I just prayed and said, God, I'm not sufficient to be able to give your word. You're going to have to help me. And they smiled and said, Ababa, I'm a fundus. You have the gift of tongues. So I want you to understand, as we move into this section of Scripture, there's a lot of confusion, but I also want you to realize that you have a pastor that believes in the Holy Spirit. And I believe in gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God can do some great things. Well, let's read. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, Paul said, Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, and remember that, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed and no one can say Jesus is at Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working but the same God works all of them and all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. 
to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Let me pray again. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we pray that God, you just clear our minds, help us to understand. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you can be seated. I, w- I, was, telling, I was telling the Wednesday night group, and Ken, yeah, I was going to tell you, the guys, the boys, they got uh, children's church downstairs. But uh, I was telling the Wednesday night group years ago, I don't know how many of you, and some of you are young, and you're so young you won't remember. But years ago, there was a movement called the Charismatic Movement. You remember? The Charismatic Movement. And the Charismatic Movement was basically a movement, I don't know if it came out of the, uh, the Jesus generation, uh, I'm not really sure, but the Charismatic Movement came about to where it began to affect churches, all churches, all denominations. And basically it was this, people began to say, is there something more? A lot of it had to do with freedom. Let me give you an example. Everybody look this way. In Baptist churches for years, you would never, and hey, Therese, I doubt Presbyterian either, you would never do what I'm about to do. Right, Dwayne, right? If we'd have done that down in Morgantown, that would have been just about as bad as when I got, yeah. You, you know, you just didn't do that. You might do this, <laughs> but buddy, the higher you got it up there, the more in trouble you were. And boy, if you ever did this, you were a goner. They'd throw you out of the church. They basically did not, there was a strong traditional liturgical view of worship in the church, and then all of a sudden the charismatic movement came along, all of a sudden contemporary worship, songs like we're singing this morning, and people began to want more freedom. They wanted freedom to be able to worship. But then what began to happen was with the charismatic movement, with some of the freedom, there began to be confusion. Because what happened is that some of Pentecostalism, neo-Pentecostalism, some of, some, of the, some of the beliefs that come out of the Pentecostal church begin to somehow creep in. In other words, second work of grace. You get saved and later you get the Holy Spirit. And if you get the Holy Spirit, it will always be evidenced by tongues. And so there begin to be confusion. So somebody who raised their hand or somebody who did this immediately was seen as somebody that was going to eventually bring that Pentecostal doctrine into a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist church. And before long, there'd be confusion. Churches would begin to divide. There was all kinds of problems that were, were around it. And I think sometimes it's the pendulum effect. I think sometimes because it was so traditional and so liturgical and so stiff and formal that finally people begin to cry out and they said, I want freedom. Let me tell you, God is not a God who polarizes us. There is always a middle. So what happened was this traditional liturgical formal worship began to swing way over here to this absolute total freedom, but with that came a lot of doctrinal theological arguing and confusion. So a lot of questions were being asked. Now the deeper issues were this. Number one, first of all, is there there a second work of grace? In other words, if you were talking to a Pentecostal, they would say this. They would say, if you said, if they looked at you and said, are you a Christian? You said, yes. They would say, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? In other words, what a charismatic Pentecostal, maybe even Assembly of God, what they would say is simply, you've been saved, but have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, then it will be evidenced by you speaking in tongues, and their idea of tongues is an aesthetic, you know, kind of a, a language that is more like, you might say, sounds like gibberish. So to a Pentecostal, they would say, you're not, you, you don't have it all. Uh, you're incomplete. It, it's not finished yet. And, and so there, uh, there was a lot, uh, a lot of confusion around this. Also, healing. Healing became a big thing. 
the, the charismatic, the Pentecostal views of healing, that some people had the gift of healing. And so then we begin to see TV ministries, men like Benny Hinn, who would build these massive gatherings of people, tens of thousands of people, and eventually Benny Hinn would do this kind of stuff where you'd have some faith healers where they would just come up, and, and, and I never knew why they had to, I'm not going to hit you, but they'd just hit you in the forehead, or you'd see this kind of behavior. People would fall back, uh, people would claim to be healed, and you saw all this confusion around healing. Then you had TV ministries. I was talking about this Wednesday night where you had somebody on TV and they basically were looking and they were saying, and the viewing audience could be in the millions. And they would say, right now, i got a word of knowledge for somebody. There's somebody right now. You're watching on TV right now and your right knee's hurting. Your right knee's hurting. I want you to lean your hand toward the TV right now. And while you're doing that, get your wife to go get the checkbook, write a check and plant a seed gift, a faith gift so that uh, God will recognize and, and I'm going to pray for your right knee right now. Well, let me ask you something. A few million people, don't you think somebody had a bad knee? My knee's hurting right now just talking about it. Philip, I know your knees are hurting. And so what people were doing is they began to, to build the coffers of these, of these ministries and TV ministries begin to be uh, flamboyant, flagrant misuse of, of resources and you had the fall of some of these charismatic individuals such as Jim and Tammy Baker. All of a sudden, ministries begin to flounder. Benny Hinn, who now is repentant and beginning to come back out of that, and I've been told is repentant now of some of the stuff that he was doing back years ago that he said was fraudulent. My grandmother lived on $250 a month and lived in a single wide trailer. I watched her religiously send money to PTL and some of those TV ministries when she didn't have it. And so all of this has created this environment today where people are still confused. They're still saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, is it right? Let's take the question of a second work of grace. Do you get saved and later do you get the Holy Spirit? I don't believe that and I don't believe the Bible teaches it. Let me tell you real quickly. Let me tell you, and, and I, I preached to, a, I was telling him Wednesday night, I was, had a pastor friend of mine who came one time, came to my office, sat down, he said, man, I got a problem. I said, what is it? He said, I've got, a, I've, got a, I've got a staff member, one of our staff, who is heavily into the charismatic movement, who is now teaching to our young people in our student ministry, second work of grace, tongues, and all of this. And he said, man, it's wreaking havoc. Now this church was at least, there were multiple morning services, they were having problems. He said, How do, what do I do? So I sat there, walked him through the scripture, walked him through the Baptist faith and message, helped him to understand what we believe about that. And then he looked at me and said, hey, would you mind coming to our church and speaking to our church? I said, no. He said, well, I'd like to get you to come on a Sunday night. Would you come next Sunday night? I said, yeah. And Sheila will tell you, we pulled up at that church. You couldn't find a parking spot. It was packed. You couldn't hardly find anywhere to sit. There were people from First Pentecostal, Southside Assembly, the Pentecostal Assembly of God, Baptists. There were Baptist churches that came, people who came and they basically listened because this was a hot topic. And I literally, Sheila will tell you, sitting in the car began to have an anxiety attack because I was thinking to myself, man, this is unbelievable. He didn't tell me this. And, and, and the staff member was sitting in the middle of the crowd and had a big following of people alongside him. This church was on the verge of splitting. And so I walked them through what the Bible teaches and what we believe as Southern Baptists. And at a certain point, God gave me this. I said, you know, among the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they used to say the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. And they would go on to say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. I said, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. He that has seen me has seen the Father. I said, the Shema is about the unity of the Godhead, the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I said, do you have the audacity to believe or to think 
that you could cut God up like a pie and then invite part of God in. Jesus, come into my heart, into my life, but Holy Spirit, you wait outside till later on I get ready for you. I had people from Pentecostal Assembly of God, I had people literally came up, even from First Pentecostal, who came down and looked at me and said, Brother Jeff, I have never heard that explained that way before. And it makes sense. In other words, I said, there's no second work of grace. Won't you, in fact, look, take your Bibles, look at Romans, flip over from 1 Corinthians, take a left, go to Romans 8 and 9. Just in case you want something to dog ear a page and, and hang your hat on, Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Look what Paul said here. He said, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, watch what Paul says. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not what? He doesn't belong to Christ. He's not saved. You can't, you can't repent of your sin, invite Jesus Christ into your life, and tell the Holy Spirit to wait outside. You get ready somewhere down the road. Paul said this. Paul said in Romans 8 9, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're Trinity. They're all together. They're not a pie you cut up. Listen, when Jesus Christ comes to live in your heart and in your life, then you have the Holy Spirit living in you as well. You may say, well, how, how do they get that? Where's the misunderstanding? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 11. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and, and, and uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, and many of you will recognize this because we call this the day of Pentecost. This is, you remember, everybody look this way real quickly. When Jesus was on this earth after the resurrection, he was here for 40 days. He taught his disciples, and the, listen to this, the Bible said he gave convincing truth or proof that he was the resurrected Jesus Christ. Classic case, Thomas. You remember? Thomas said, I'm not going to believe. The others tried to say, look, we saw Jesus. We saw. You remember when the women came back and said, we saw Jesus? The disciples said, no, there ain't no way. Jesus had to appear to the disciples to convince them. Do you remember that? And then Thomas wasn't there. And you remember Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas said, listen, guys, you, I don't know what y'all been smoking or drinking. I don't know what y'all are doing. I don't know if it's a mad dog 2020. I don't know what's going on. But I'm telling you that I'm not going to believe it unless I'm able to put my fingers, my hands in the nail prints, in his hands, his feet, and in his side. And you know what Jesus did? He shows up, walk, comes through the wall, appears to Thomas and says, Thomas, here it is. Thomas, here it is. Thomas, here it is. Look and believe and be convinced. And you know what Thomas? Thomas said, Lord, I believe. He called him Lord and said, you know what Jesus said? Wow, wow. Blessed are all those who will never have the opportunity to do what you just did and will walk strictly by faith. Jesus, for 40 days, convinced everybody. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, said there were over 500 witnesses that had seen the resurrected Lord as well as the apostles, as well as Paul. So, and my mind is racing so quick, as usual, I forget where I'm going here. But anyway, on the day of Pentecost, I know where I'm going. Jesus told the disciples, he said, now listen, what I want you to do, when he ascended, this is the last thing he said, it would be like right now if he were ascending, and he looked and he said, uh, he said, Frankie, he said, now, I want you to go back to your house and I want you to wait and I don't want you to do nothing. Now, they were Baptists. We know they were Baptists because they had a business meeting. And they replaced Judas. They replaced Judas with Matthias. Okay, so they had a business meeting. They, they, they didn't do what Jesus told them. Jesus didn't tell them to replace anybody. I believe the Apostle Paul replaced Judas. But anyway, it would, be like, it would be like Jesus looking at Frankie and saying, Frankie, now listen, you go back to your house and you stay there, and you stay there until I give you the power. 
Now, the New Testament church, remember, is assembled on the day of Pentecost when the Bible says that Jesus goes up to heaven. You remember? He said, I must go up to heaven, and when I go up to heaven, I'm going to empower the church with the Holy Spirit. And the day of Pentecost is the empowering of the Holy Spirit on the church. Look at it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, everybody look this way again. You remember what John the Baptist said. He said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one after me of whose shoes I'm not worthy to latch or unlatch. He said, he will baptize you with what? With fire. Now watch this, verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Other tongues. Now there we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in their own language. They were utterly amazed. They asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? And he goes on to talk about all the different languages that they were hearing. It's no different than if I'm looking at you and I say, Mwari akati. pachva. And you say, Brother Jeff, what did you say? I, say I, I was saying, God says, you must be born again. I cannot say that in this assembly unless somebody can interpret. Because you don't know if I'm not filled with a demonic spirit and am actually blasphemy, blaspheming God and the Holy Spirit. You have no way of understanding what I'm saying. Even in the case of me being the pastor here for nearly 25 years, if I say muari akafeka, I meant muari akate, God says, muno jesu akate, muno fanira kubarekwa pachva, I better interpret that, and what that means is this. That means, and for people in Zimbabwe who might live stream, they know that I just said, God said, Jesus said, you must be born again. But you don't know what I said. All of these people in the day of Pentecost were not, they, listen, they were hearing, they were speaking and hearing in different languages and they were just fascinated by it. But where do we get the problems that come with the Pentecostal? Why is it a problem? Flip over from Acts 2, go over to Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28. In Acts chapter 10, verse 28, if you remember real quickly, and let me explain this. The, the gospel, the go, if we could look at it this way, let me, let me do it this way. The gospel first comes to the Jew. You remember Jesus? You remember when the Syrophoenician came to Jesus and she had a daughter that was sick and she said, Lord, she said, uh, she said can you heal my daughter? And he said, you don't take food for the children and give it to the family pet. That's what he meant. He didn't mean dogs. He meant the family pet. You don't take the food that would be given to the kids and feed it to your dog first, do you? That, that doesn't make sense. And she said, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's plate. Jesus said, I came first to who? To the Jew, right? But then you have the church now that is now going into the Gentile, Greek and Gentile community. So the reality is, is that every time the church, empowered with the Holy Spirit, makes the jump from the Jew in Acts chapter 10 to the Gentile. This is where Peter, if you remember, Peter's been... God tells a man by, Cornel, by the name of Cornelius. God says, Cornelius, you need to ask for Peter to come and pray for you. Cornelius is a Gentile. So this is going to be a radical step for a Jew to go to the Gentile. 
God says to Peter, he says, Peter, Peter, you remember Peter was sleeping on top of the roof when all of a sudden he had a dream? And in the dream he saw a big sheet coming down with all kinds of animals, everything, all kinds of creation, and it's coming down. And God says, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, well, I can't do that. I'm a kosher Jew. I don't eat pork. There's a lot of things I don't eat, God. The dietary laws of the Old Testament, God said, Peter, no, not anymore. Eat, Peter, kill and eat. Anything that God calls clean, you don't call unclean. And then he says, Peter, I want you to go to Cornelius, a Gentile, and take the gospel. You remember Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right? So God tells Peter, I want you to take the keys to the kingdom. I want you to take the kingdom to the Gentile people. And Cornelius, if you remember verse 28, I think it's verse 28, Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Let me look here. Acts chapter 10, verse 28. Well, verse 27, talking with him, Peter went inside, found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you, may I ask you, uh, may I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius then answered, and let me read on down here. Then Peter began to speak, verse 34, verse 39, we're witnesses, and then he goes on down here. Let me see. Um, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. Watch this, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In other words, in Acts chapter 10, it wasn't a second work of grace. These were not people, it wasn't a second work of grace. They believed, they received the Holy Spirit. The tongues was the same gift they had witnessed in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when people were hearing in their own languages. Go to Acts 19, one more. Why the confusion? Why do people believe? And this is a big one. In Acts 19, Acts chapter 19, verses beginning at verse 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, now watch this, because this is where Pentecostals will often go to. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So what they're saying is, wait a minute, there must be a second work of grace, because Paul's asking them who believe, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. Now watch the answer here. So Paul asked then, they answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? Now look at this, this is critical. Whose baptism? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, now Paul's correcting them here. He said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Remember, John came was a forerunner. He was preparing the way. He was calling people to the Jordan River, and he was saying to them, listen, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people began to come. It was a sign of repentance. It was a baptism of repentance. John never said, he said, listen, the one that's coming that will baptize you with fire is not here yet. I'm just simply preparing the hearts and preparing the way for people for Jesus. These people have experienced the baptism of John, but that's it. Verse 4, Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. They spoke in tongues and they prophesied. These were about 12 men in all. Well, what happened here? These people had had a baptism, but it was a baptism of John. They had not heard, they had not heard the good news of the gospel. They didn't understand the gospel. They didn't understand the story of Jesus Christ. As Paul began to expound and take that story, Paul began to take the keys 
as an apostle, and he began to take the gospel to Gentiles once again. But there's a lot of confusion. And let me just say, I want to say with certainty that when you get saved and you're truly saved, you get all of God you're ever going to get. You're saved. And you may say, well, why does the Bible tell me to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because you and I leak, right? I leak, I got some bad leaks. I mean, I look like one of them cartoon characters where somebody shot him several times and just leaking everywhere, you know? I'm like that old man during the revival that came down, knelt at the altar and began to cry out, oh God, fill me. He was crying out, oh God, fill me. An old woman, his wife stood up back there and said, don't do it, Lord, he leaks. But that's true, right? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is this. In the language of the Greek, it means to be constantly being filled because we leak. We have a treasure and an earthen vessel. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is simply this. When you and I, and Paul's going to talk about this as we get into this passage of Scripture, the baptism and the Holy Spirit, and everybody listen closely, baptism, baptismo, the idea of being immersed when you and I repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I need you to listen. Two baptisms take place at the moment of your conversion. One baptism is this. You and I are filled, baptized, filled in the Holy Spirit when we get saved. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? At the same time, you are baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. Now you and I, as Paul says over 30 times to the church at Ephesus, you and I are positionally in Christ. Now everybody listen closely. You're baptized, the Holy Spirit's coming in you at conversion. You're also baptized, you're placed in the body of Christ. You're now, I'm now in Christ never to be taken out. You didn't get there by anything other than repentance and, putting your, and by faith, putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, and you're never going to earn the right. You are positionally, if you are a Christian, saved. You may sin, and I may sin, and when that happens, we are convicted because we grieve the Holy Spirit, and God's Holy Spirit in Ephesians starts crying, weeping, that's what it means. The Holy Spirit is crying in me, grieving because I'm living in sin, and makes me absolutely miserable. And I can quench the Holy Spirit, but I can't get it out. And I can't get out of Jesus, right? I was listening to Adrian Rod. I mean, not. I was listening to John MacArthur in a panel, and they were discussing the the uh, Christian the 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 Christianity of Robbie Zacharias. And if you know, Robbie Zacharias was a prominent apologetic speaker, a world-renowned apologetic speaker who ended up having a lot of sexual immorality. And before it was over with, he died of a very, very bad cancer, uh, early 70s. But he brought unbelievable pain and hurt to his family and unbelievable pain and hurt to the cause of Christ. John MacArthur said something, and I would have to say that wasn't true. John MacArthur said I'd never heard him. John MacArthur said I've been in places where he and I spoke together, and he said he did not use the word of God. He did not, But I've heard Robbie Zacharias use the word of God, so I would have to question that. But the question was this. It was this. Had, John, had um, Robbie Zacharias ever truly been converted to Christ? And if he was, how could he live that kind of sin? And they talked about they believed it was impossible and they tended to say he probably wasn't a Christian. I wanted to raise my hand and say, what about the sin unto death? Has it ever occurred to you guys that literally God may have just said, come on home, Robbie. I love you too much. Can't let you live like that anymore. Come on home. So the reality is, is that when you and I get saved... 
There are two baptisms that take place. Number one, I'm the temple now, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's living in me. At the same time, I'm positionally now in Christ, never to be taken out. That is eternal security. And let me tell you, Pentecostals do not believe in eternal security of the believer. Thank God that my salvation is secure based on my faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I am in Christ. And the Bible says, Jesus said, listen, you know what he said? Listen to this. I, do, I would do this all the time. You got, anybody got a coin? Give me your coin. John, you got a coin? Does anybody carry coins anymore? You got a coin, Frankie? Okay. I'll pick your phone up since you're trying to find me a coin. Oh, goodness, girl. You got kids. They just took you. Okay, here we go. Here's a coin. A quarter. Here's a quarter. I do this with children all the time. When I used to do children's church, I would say, this quarter represents your life. And I said, when you repent of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this is what happens. Jesus now holds you in the palm of his hand. And then I'd look at these kids and I'd say, would you like that quarter? And man, this is back when a quarter was worth something. I've been doing this 40 years. And those kids are light up. And before long, man, they, I said, well, try to get it. And back then, I was about 190, 200 pounds and muscular and healthy. And they'd sit there and they'd, they'd sit there and they'd just twist and pull. One of them finally get one finger open. And then before long, man, I'd just clench it tighter. I said, you can't get it. And I said, you know what Jesus said? When you put your faith and trust in him and you become a child of God and you are positionally in Christ, he said, you're held in the palm of my hand. Now listen to this, and no man can pluck you out. Now listen, that means not even you can pluck yourself out. That's eternal security. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. So be careful when you get into some of this theological arguing back and forth that the reality is is that you find yourself and we've got to close i didn't realize it was a slate but you find yourself in this precarious situation to where you are grabbing theology that may undermine even your eternal security there was uh i wanted to get a little bit farther but I'm, it doesn't seem like i'm going to and you can tell i'm just i've just wrote down a lot of notes here Let's see here. My hands are shaking. Y'all are making me nervous looking at me while I'm trying to turn these pages. What we're going to do, what we're going to do next week is we're going to go through these verses verse by verse and we're going to exegete them. But I want to close with a I want to close with an illustration. When you're 65 years old, you start worrying about your health a little bit more. And you know, a year ago, I had, uh, not quite a year ago, I had, when I got on a um, treadmill, and before long, the girl said, sit down, sit down, pull the chair up like she was alarmed, sit down, sit down. I had 99, 90 to 99% blockage in the lower descending aorta, the widowmaker. Immediately, they took me and put a stent in my heart. But I began to think about death a lot more. And when you, get, when you get close to death, you start thinking about it. In fact, at one point, I'm, they're wheeling me out after it was over, and there's Jeffrey standing there smiling at me. And uh, he looked at me and I said, uh, I said uh, son, were you worried? He said, Dad, I can't tell you how many times chaplains get called up there because somebody codes. I thought to myself, I'm glad you didn't tell me that before I went in there. But when you get my age, you start thinking about health. And you start thinking about heart attack, stroke. Stroke's a big one. Jeff Ainsworth, dear friend, Jeff died of, of, of the complications from a massive stroke at 53. I think he was 53. We buried him a while back. That's a big one. So anytime you get a tingle in the side of your face, anytime you're, you're, something feels a little numb or whatever, well, you get scared. You think, am I having a stroke? One night I, I, I woke up, I, I couldn't sleep, I wasn't feeling good, I got up, I went to the couch, I was laying on the couch, and when I woke up, my right leg was dead. You ever done that? 
You ever had a, you ever had a leg or an arm or something go to sleep? And I, and I thought to myself, I thought, I'm having a stroke. And, and Sheila's back there, so I don't want to alarm Sheila, so I'm trying to get up and, 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 and trying to see if I can get my leg to work. And so this is me. Y'all laugh because I'm setting the noose. This is me. And I, I'm literally to the point, I'm scared. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about to cry, and I'm saying, Sheila, you know, something's wrong with me. And then all of a sudden, you know what happens, like pins start, and I'll, oh, Oh, it's coming back. It's coming to life. <laughs> you know, the next thing I'm doing is in the hallway going, I'm alive! <laughs> hey, you know what? You know what? You and I need to understand this as we move into this passage of Scripture. Every one of us as a Christian has been given a gift. Your gift, your gift is what makes this church work. When you don't know your gift, you don't care to exercise your gift, then you know what you make this church look like as a body of believers? This is what we look like. We can't do ministry. We can't do evangelism. We can't do what God's called us to do because you either don't know your gift, you don't want to know your gift, and hey, if it were left up to you, you'd go to a big church and hide so you never had to even disclose you were even there. That's why a lot of people go to big churches because you can hide in them and you can just be a spectator. This is not a spectator sport. There's only one spectator here. If you're not singing, shame on you. You know, even a moment ago, we didn't have the words that one song together. And you know what I was doing? I was just making up something. Because <laughs> I just got to sing, Right? Let me tell you, when you, are, when you become a Christian, when you repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, simultaneous baptism, Christ comes to live in you, you enter into the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ, the church, ecclesia. And God gives you a gift, gives you talents and abilities, and he know, you know what he does? He says, now I want you to take that talent and use it for me. Man, listen. Best news I've had in a long time was when Alan Tisdale looked at me and said, let me tell you about Shelby. The thought of a freshman in college at one of the major universities in the country, if not the world, speaking on critical race theory, correcting the ideologies of, of, of many people who don't understand to the degree that the professor and the class stand and give a round of applause. Hey, listen, take me home. I'm ready to die. <laughs> I couldn't ask for anything to make me happier. That's using your gift. That's using your gift. And when you don't use your gift and I don't use my gift, then I can tell you one thing. That's why some of you are so rotten miserable. You're so unhappy is because you are not, you are a Christian, you're eternally secure, but you have long since give up, given up on using your gift to plant in this church and to make a difference for Christ. Are you saved? Let's stand with heads bowed and with eyes closed, Lord Jesus. We come to you right now, and Lord, I just pray. Pray, dear Lord, for every man and woman who may be listening by live stream, those that may listen later. I pray for those that, dear Lord, are in this sanctuary. And I pray, dear Lord, right now that, dear Lord, if there's one here, a man or woman, a boy or girl, who doesn't know for certain they're saved, they just simply say, Brother Jeff, I'm not sure. I don't know. I think I am. I hope I am, but I'm not sure. Man, you couldn't get me to get on a plane if the pilot didn't know where he was, where he was going. Too many homes are in disarray. Too many marriages are in disarray because mom and dad, they don't even know where they're going. They don't even know if they're saved. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who right now says, Brother Jeff, I do not know for certain where I would spend eternity if I died, if Christ, if the rapture of the church, I'm not sure if I wouldn't be left behind. 
If I had a stint in my heart or my heart quit right now, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. If they're in the sound of my voice and they do not know, may they settle it now. May they understand that the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says we shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus said, if any man hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. So I pray, dear Lord, right now if somebody is here, somebody's listening and they don't know that they would pray this prayer with me and mean it. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, come live in me and be the Lord and the master of my life. I thank you, Jesus, because of what your word teaches. And this prayer that I've prayed, that it's settled, and that I'm saved. And I pray, dear Lord, if somebody prayed this prayer and they meant it, and there's a lot of people that debating even about the prayer now. I, I think that's strange. For the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, for those that may be calling right now, you know their hearts, and if they cried out and called even in that prayer, Lord, may they truly know and may they follow and be baptized. The first act of obedience is to make it public. To whomever the Lord called, he called publicly. If we're ashamed of you on this earth, then the Bible says you'll be ashamed of us. So Lord, I pray that if somebody prayed that prayer and they meant it, that they would come today and make it public. Following baptism, I pray if somebody prayed that prayer who may watch this later on, that God, you'll speak to their heart and cause them to find a local church and to plant that life and to be baptized. And God, may we realize that, Lord, we have begun a great, precious journey of being conformed into the image of your Son. And we thank you for eternal security, baptized in the body of Christ. We thank you that we are the temple of your Holy Spirit. You live in us. You're the paraclete, the counselor. Help us, dear Lord, to listen to you. Help parents to listen as they navigate raising their children. Help marriages to navigate their marriage by listening to the indwelling Holy Spirit. God, speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come.